Hello, you're on Now Hear This. My name is Melanie Tate. The stories you'll hear today were all recorded at live Now Hear This storytelling nights and afternoons around Australia. And what happens is this. We give you a theme and if you're brave enough, you come along to the story night or afternoon, tell a true story from your life into a microphone in front of an audience all from your memory. It's kind of like going to a dinner party or a barbecue and telling a story, only no one's asking you questions. Now, it might sound a bit daunting, you know, giving a speech without notes to a bunch of people. Well, that's not exactly what it is. It's actually not giving a speech. It's telling your story. And who knows your story better than you? Later, I'll give you more details on how you can be part of a storytelling night. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about the stories you'll hear today. They all involve secrets of some kind. There's a secret that was kept for decades that will make your heart stop. There's a secret between a man and his daughter which is destined never to be broken. And there's a secret between a young girl and her mum that can't be broken as much as the little girl wants to break it. Our first story today is from Peter Green. My uh, grandfather's sister was an only child. Now, Rini uh, grew up in Paddington at the, uh, in the start of the last century, back when owning a, a terrace house in Paddington didn't mean you were a very trendy person with a lot of money. It basically meant that you were poor and your house was, was small. And her father worked very hard at the factory. Her mother had a uh, drinking problem. And the highlight of Irene's week was every Sunday morning when her dad would take her down to Centennial Park and just sit her down on the grass and let her play on the grass. It was an escape from the, uh, the grim reality of her life. And she started, as she grew up, she started to notice people in the park at the same time as, as them every Sunday. There was the couple walking the dog. There was this guy who would sit on the bench, roll a drum roll your own cigarette, have a smoke and then walk off. There was the the minister from the Sunday school who would take the boys down to kick a football around. And she started to feel like she and them were part of the fabric of the park as much as the the bronze cannons and the the white pavilion to commemorate the uh, centenary and and the geese on the lake. Anyway, Rini, Rini got older, she, be, she was a teenager, she was waiting after school for her mum to walk her home, and her mum turned up pretty drunk as usual, and Rini had had enough, and she said, Mum, you're always drunk, why are you always drunk? And her mum just said, don't tell me what to do, and I'm not your mother. Your father didn't want you, gave you away, and your dad and me, we, we raised you. So Rini grew old, but wondering, who, what was this, who was this man who gave away a baby? And what, what was her real story? But she, she married, she raised her own family, and they moved out of home. She, she was still always wondering... What was her own story? When she got in touch with radio station 2GB, they had had a a program in the 70s where people with long-lost 
friends and relatives could get in touch with each other. This was long before the days of Facebook when you you know way too much about your long lost uh, friends and relatives. (laughs) A half-sister Reenie has got in touch with her and introduced her back into the family. And this is when Reenie discovered that she wasn't an only child. She had 21 brothers (laughs) and sisters. My uncle always used to say, you can't chuck a rock without hitting a relative. (laughs) Rini got to meet brothers, sisters, half-brothers, half-sisters, nieces, nephews, this particular grand-nephew. And one person she didn't meet was my grandfather, who always talked about this long-lost little sister, because Rini got in touch with us in 1975, and my grandfather died in 1974. But here, here is Rini's real story. Rini's mother died in childbirth, giving birth to her 14th child. Her father fostered out the children at the time to various relatives and people and various other friends until he could get back on his feet. He eventually ended up marrying the, the housekeeper and having eight more children because this was uh, before television. But he didn't think it was fair to give a a newborn baby to someone who had a family, couldn't devote the time to it. But what he did have was a workmate who had a wife, but for some reason they could not have children of their own. And so without any official adoption papers happening, he gave this newborn baby to this workmate to be their own baby. So it wasn't that he didn't want to keep this baby, but he wanted to give her the best chance of growing up in a loving family. Now, he did give this baby away to this workmate on one condition, that every weekend he would take the baby down to Centennial Park and let her play on the grass while her real father would sit on a bench, roll his own drum cigarette, and slowly walk, get up and walk past and watch his daughter play on the grass. Uh, Thank you very much. Peter Green told that story at the Now Hear This Storytelling Slam in Sydney at the Art House Hotel. The theme of that night was secrets, and you can bet there was a goosebump or two throughout the audience when that story finished. You're on Now Hear This. I'm Melanie Tate. Do you have a story that you'd like to tell? Well, coming up, there are storytelling slams in Sydney on the last Wednesday of each month, a slam in Melbourne on December 15th, and shows in Canberra on December 10th and Brisbane on December 13th. Go to our website to find out how you can be involved, abc.net.au slash radionational, or you can email nowhearthis at abc.net.au. We're hearing secret stories today on Now Hear This. Coming up, how hard is it for a little girl to keep a secret when the safety of her family is at risk? Now, here's Anna Faulkner. My story starts when I was five years old. Our family moved to New Guinea, to Port Moresby, 
And uh, my parents were both professional people. They were both strong people. However, my mother was probably a little bit stronger than my father. They liked a good time. They liked to drink. They were sociable. They were broad-minded. But there were limits. And one of the limits was the bottom pub. Now, there were two pubs in the main street of Moresby in those days. There was the top pub and the bottom pub. And the top pub was perfectly all right. But the bottom pub wasn't. The bottom pub's other name was the snake pit. According to mum, peopled by deviates and degenerates. So anyway, not long after we arrived, mum and dad decided it would be a good idea if I was sent to Sunday school. Dad, uh, mum was an Anglican, dad was a dissenter, and uh, they couldn't decide which Sunday school I should go to, so it fell into a heap and I didn't go anywhere. And that remained the case for a couple of years until uh, somebody suggested to my parents and my best friend Katie's parents that the Salvation Army ran a very good Sunday school. And uh, with some misgivings, mum and dad and Katie's parents said, all right, well, we'll send them to the Salvation Army. We loved the Salvation Army, Katie and I. Uh, Dad wasn't so enamoured when I came home with stories about the evils of alcohol, such as when he cracked open a beer, I'd say, Satan is in the alcohol, Dad. (laughs) And uh, poured himself a scotch. Liquor weakens the flesh. Hell, he said, if they're going to teach you that sort of stuff at Sunday school, I'll find you another Sunday school. But I didn't want another Sunday school. I loved the Salvation Army. Katie and I both loved the Salvation Army. We were junior soldiers by then. We had little uniform, little straps over the shoulder, little hat. Best of all, we were learning the tambourine. (laughs) And not the kids' tambourine, the adults' tambourine. So anyway, this went on for for about a year and we got so good at the tambourine that the senior soldiers invited us to play in the band with them in church on Sundays. So we romped up, we performed, we acquitted ourselves beautifully and this went on for about six months, Katie and I playing in the band, until they were so impressed they said, right, well, it's time you've earned the privilege of playing in public. So we took a note home to our parents that requested permission for us to play in town on Friday evening uh, for about half an hour, uh, fully supervised at all time, and back in the Salvation Army Hall by 6.30, quarter to 7. Mum glanced at the note and signed off. So there we were in the Salvation Army bus trundling down the main street of Port Moresby and we pulled up, guess where? (laughs) Outside the bottom pub. (laughs) Anyway, I looked at Captain Baker, our Sunday school teacher, and I said, but Captain Baker, mum says only deviates and degenerates play outside the bottom pub. And he said, no, Anna, it's, it's, the hotel is not full of deviates and degenerates, it's full of lost souls. And anyway, he said, 
you just play. You don't, you don't have to judge people, you just play. So there we were, six o'clock closing time, the six o'clock clock swill, as some of you might remember it was called. And the band starts up, and in we come with the tambourines, and out come the men, and they're full of grog, and they're cheering at us when they see us, and they put money in the in the little money box, and they ignore the war cry that Captain Baker's waving at them. And uh, they're all just about out, and I, I just glanced around, and I saw a man. <laughs> And he was tall, and he had dark hair, and he was horribly familiar. And I turned away and played my tambourine over here, but there was this almighty roar, bloody hell! And my father raced across the road, and he's yelling, my daughter playing in a tub-thumping, flea-bitten band outside the... Bloody snake pit. And he grabbed Katie and me by the straps of our uniforms and he dragged us off up the street into the car, pushed us in the back seat of the car, got in the front, sat there for a while trying to calm down. He said, Okay, girls, I'm not angry with you. <laughs> but I have to know the truth. How long has this been going on? It hasn't, Dad. It's the first time, I promise, the first time ever. He said the last time too. Never, ever again. But Dad, no, no, no arguments, no ifs, no buts, last time. So anyway, he starts the car and we start driving home and Katie leans across to him and he says, she says, are you a lost soul, Mr Swenson? <laughs> No. So I leaned across and I said, are you a deviant, Dad? <laughs> no. Are you a degenerate? What's going on? What have they filled you with? And I said, no, Mum said only deviates and degenerates go to the bottom pub. Oh, uh, well, I don't go to the bottom pub. I've never been there before. It was the first time. The first time ever. <laughs> Anyway, I, I don't think we should mention anything to your mother about me being in the bottom part. <laughs> okay? Silence. Girls, are we agreed? Silence. Dad? Yes, sweetheart. You didn't really mean it about us not going back to the Salvation Army Sunday School, did you? Anna Faulkner told that story at the Noosa Long Weekend Festival at the Noosa Arts Theatre. When now here, this teamed up with Conversations' Richard Feidler for our very first Queensland show. We're actually heading back to Queensland soon. We'll be at the gorgeous State Library of Queensland on December 13. The theme for the show that night is family photo, and we're still looking for storytellers. If you feel like you've got a story to share, email me at nowhearthis at abc.net.au. I'm Melanie Tate, sharing some secret stories with you today on Now Hear This.
our final story today is from Zoya Sheftalovich. to keep a lot of secrets when you're a kid growing up in the USSR. Yeah, yeah. Your family's Jewish? That's a secret. Your dad's learning English? Big secret. You managed to get your hands on the biggest, fattiest piece of Polish salami out there? No one must know. It made for some pretty lonely lunch times. There were some secrets that were the most difficult ones for me to keep as a kid. When we left the USSR, I wasn't able to tell my friends. So one day, on a Tuesday, I was at school, and on a Wednesday, I was gone, and I never got a chance to say goodbye. And in fact, it was actually a secret from me by my parents that we were coming to Australia for good. My mum told me we were going on a holiday, but I was a bit suspicious when she packed the piano. (laughs) Needless to say, even though she promised we would, I never went back. One of the hardest secrets I ever had to keep was when my family and I made the 10-hour train journey from my little farming hamlet in Ukraine to Moscow. It was the 30th of January, 1990, and it was the best day ever. McDonald's had opened in Moscow. There was no fast food in the USSR, and in fact, from the looks of the queue that went further than the eye could see and that I later learnt was 30,000 people deep, fast food didn't come to the USSR that day either. (laughs) I was a seasoned queuer. I was only five, but pretty much the entirety of my childhood memories are made up of my mother and I walking home seeing a queue and joining it without knowing what it was for. Now, sometimes it was for good stuff. Other times it was for irons. We had a lot of irons. It was good, though, because you could swap it with Ivan the salami guy. You might get yourself a pretty sweet salami for an iron. That day, the queue was the longest queue I had ever seen in my life. So I made a calculated decision that I was probably unlikely to get to the front. So I ripped my hand out of my parents and I made a run for it. I was five, I was small, so I was able to squeeze my way through fur coats and bearskin jackets. I got to the front of the line and I squeezed my face between all of the other people around me and I looked inside. I saw a gumburger. It was amazing. It was a strange, bulbous sandwich. The woman eating it had taken the top off, scraped with great disdain all of the lettuce to the side of her plate, and ate the patty with a knife and fork while mashing bites of the sesame seed bun into her mouth with what looked like the most incredible pleasure I had ever seen, and I was on fire with jealousy. (laughs) On fire. I wouldn't get to taste McDonald's for another three years, but when that time came, I savoured it. 
It was the most incredible, capitalist, brilliant thing that had ever happened to me. But that day was not going to be the day I tasted my first hamburger. I could just drink it in. I wanted to tell all my friends. Of course, in my mind, the story was way better. I'd eaten that hamburger. It tasted amazing. I'd had some chips, which were potatoes, sliced really weird. I'd had a chocolate thick shake. When my mum caught up with me, when she made me walk past the militiaman who I was afraid of, though I didn't quite know why, she uttered the most deplorable words in the Russian language. She said, this is a secret. You can't tell anyone. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't tell Anastasia at kindergarten who never shared her candy with me. Her parents were connected with people from the US who got her a video player. I'd seen E.T. at her house. I had McDonald's and I wasn't allowed to tell a soul. It was so unjust. I was just so angry. I made a promise to myself that if I could tell that story, I would tell it well. So here we are today. I had McDonald's. Ladies and gentlemen, the first McDonald's ever in Russia. I may not have had that one, but I did get McDonald's in the end. Bondi Beach, 1993. It happened. I had a Day. It had chocolate sauce on it. It tasted amazing. Liquid chocolate, what? That happened. I'm a capitalist now. I have a little bit of communist soul inside of me. But anytime I think of why I love Australia, the thing that brings me most in love with this country is the fact that you don't have to line up more than 90 seconds at McDonald's. Yeah. Zoya Shevdalovich with that story. Zoya told that story at the Secrets Now Hear This Storytelling Slam in September this year at the Art House Hotel in Sydney. Like I said, if you're interested in being part of Now Hear This, we have a lot of opportunities for you to do just that before the end of the year. Check out our website or email me at nowhearthis at abc.net.au. We have story slams where you turn up and you tell a five-minute story. We also have curated nights where you write in with your story and we work on it before you step up in front of an audience. Have a think about it. As you can hear through their gasping and laughing and applause, the audience are incredibly lovely and I think most storytellers have really enjoyed the experience and wanted to come back. The next slam is in Sydney on Wednesday, October 30. The theme is Lost and Found, and that's at the Art House Hotel in Pitt Street, Sydney. Next after that, Canberra on December the 10th at the National Film and Sound Archive. And then we'll be in Brisbane on December the 13th with a family tree-themed Now Hear This at the State Library of Queensland. And we'll also be in Melbourne on December the 15th at the Toffin Town. The theme there is It Happened in Melbourne. I hope you'll be able to come along to one of those Now Hear This nights or afternoons. That's all for today. Next week, we're going to have three stories that are all mysterious in some way. 
Today's stories were recorded by Robert Apollini, Martin Peralta and Josh Craig. Sound engineer, Jennifer Parsonage. I'm Melanie Tate. This is Now Hear This and I hope you have a terrific week and get a story or two out of it. 